Hey, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'll try it again. What's up? Good to, good to see you. So honored to be here uh, in Houston and uh, getting to, to speak with church planters and church leaders this morning. I got to be with some of you that are in the church planting residency, and uh, that's one of my favorite things to do. My wife and I are church planters, and so 10 years ago, in the heart of downtown Nashville, we just felt called by God. Uh, to plant a church that makes disciples and plants churches in that order because we believe if you make disciples, you get churches, but if you start with churches, you don't always get disciples. And so for us, our passion has been disciple-making that leads to church planting, that leads to more disciple-making and more church planting. And so over the years, we've gotten to, to plant churches and work with church planters. That's been one of our great joys. But over the last couple of years, uh, God has been stirring within us and in our city this heart for prayer and fasting in regards to the way that it opens the door for disciple-making and church planting. And so, you know, one of the kind of the visions that God gave us, one day we were just praying over our city and we were saying, hey God, how do you go about transforming a city that is so like shackled by um, religiosity, cultural Christianity? What does it look like for the Spirit of God to take hold in a place like this? And I just saw this image of an arrowhead coming down into our city. And the arrowhead was kind of divided into four pieces. On the tip of that arrowhead was prayer and fasting. The next part of it was disciple making. The next part of it was church planting. And then the last part of it was culture shaking, culture shaping. And there's just this image that the Lord is saying, hey, what you want, what you want in disciple making and church planting and eventually to see a culture transformed by the beauty and the love and the power of Jesus, what you want will not happen unless it is first preceded by a faithful, like long-standing like commitment to prayer and fasting, that God would do something uh, in the city. And so when Chad called me and said, hey, I would love for you to come in the morning and talk about church planting, and in the afternoon I want you to talk about prayer and fasting on behalf of the city because of what we're doing, I'm like, dude, this is it. This is, this is fun. And so I'm so honored um, to get to be here with you for a few minutes uh, to talk about uh, what does it look like to ask God to unleash a movement of prayer and fasting in a city so that disciples are made, churches are planted, and cultures are shifted, okay? And so that's what I want to talk about for a few moments. So this coming Monday, uh, my wife and I, we're going to celebrate our 14th wedding anniversary. And thanks. Thanks for the 11 of you that loved, you know, care about that. And, uh, you know, we're going we're to celebrate our 14th wedding anniversary. And uh, one of my most hilarious moments from our, our marriage actually takes place or took place the night before we got married. We were having our uh, wedding rehearsal, you know, where you get together at the chapel and you figure out who's going to stand where and what you're going to do and how that's going to work. And then after that, you go and you have the rehearsal dinner where you go and eat the meal and all of your friends tell embarrassing stories about you. And it's my favorite part of the whole wedding weekend. And so we're there at our rehearsal, at our wedding rehearsal at this old stone chapel in downtown Nashville off of 19th Avenue South. And, and uh, we get done with the rehearsal and I'm loading up all of the decorations for the next day into my car and I'm talking with my friends. And we get in the car and we're driving down 19th Avenue South to this rehearsal dinner where we're getting re ready to have this big celebration and my phone rings. And I'll never forget this moment. My buddy's driving and I open up my phone and I look down and I see my soon-to-be wife. She's calling me, Sydney's calling me. And, and I realized she's calling me because she's not in my car. And the reason she's not in my car is because I had forgotten her. And the reason I had forgotten her is because I'm an idiot. And so, uh, you know, I just panic. And I tell my buddy, I'm like, stop the car. And, 
Uh, I haven't answered the phone yet. I get out of the car and I just start running back to the chapel. I, I, I don't know why I didn't have him drive me back. I just panicked. I was scared. I just start running back to the chapel. And for a moment, I thought, maybe I can get back on the property before I have to answer the phone and tell her that I forgot her. But, you know, I'm clearly not a track star, so it didn't work, you know. And so I, I answer the phone. I'm out of breath. <gasps> hey, hey, what's up? She's like, you're out of breath. I'm like, yeah, I've been running. Why are you running? Because I'm on 19th Avenue South. Why are you on 19th Avenue South? Because I forgot you. And that was our first moment of intense fellowship as a soon-to-be-married couple or, or a fight where she's like, what? How'd you forgive me? And so I get back to the chapel and I pick her up and, or she takes me in her car. We're driving to this, this dinner. And the whole time there, we're just, we're just going at it. You know, we're like frustrated. And I'll never forget, she looked at me and she said, Dave, what would have happened? What would have happened if you would have gotten to the party and realized that you left the guest of honor behind? Like, like, like what would that have been like? And, you know, I, I don't know how to... I don't know what your church planning journey has been like, but there's like a couple of years into our church plant where I woke up and I went, man, we have, we have figured out how to plant a church, but we've left the guests of honor behind. We figured out how to, the right venue, the right building, the right communicator, the, the right whatever. But, but somewhere along the way, like we left, we left the one behind that actually energizes and moves and actually does this thing that we're trying to do, which is making disciples and planting churches. And if I could kind of just think back on the last seven or eight years, it's been like we as a team, we as a church, we've been running back to the chapel saying, hey, God, we want to try this thing again, but this time we want to do it by the power of your spirit. This time we want to ask you to do what only you can do because we believe that there are things that Jesus wants to accomplish in our city that won't be accomplished by our programs, by our preaching, by our strategy. It'll only be accomplished first and foremost by our prayers. And it, hasn't, it wasn't until we really began getting serious about that that we really began to see God open our eyes in some really unique ways. And I just kept thinking of those words of Philippians 3 verse 10 where, where Paul says, I want to know Christ. I don't just want to know about him. I want to know him. Like, I want to know him. And I want to know the power of his what? Help me out, church. I want to know the power of his... Is that it? Hopefully you guys know it better than that. I want to know what? The power of his resurrection. I want to share in the fellowship of his what? His suffering. I want to be just like him in his death so that I too may attain resurrection. I'm not there yet. But I forget what's behind. I press on toward what's in front of me to take hold of that. Take hold of that. Like, I mean, that's what I want. That's what you want, right? Like, that's why we plant churches. Because we want to know Christ. We want our people to know Christ. We want our city to know Christ. We want our nation to know Christ. And I'm convinced that they can't know him. They can't, like, know him just through our preaching or just through our planning or just through our programs, but through the, the prayers of desperate women and desperate men who say, God, we're, we're, we're inviting you to move. We're inviting you to move. And so several years ago, we started running back to the chapel like that night before my wedding, I started running back to the chapel. We started running back as a church saying, hey God, we want more of you and we think it's gonna come through prayer. We think it's gonna come through fasting. Kind of in this season, God started inviting my family into a lot of different global spaces where we were working with leaders all over the world and we're seeing God move in tremendous ways in ways that quite honestly I'm spiritually jealous of. I don't think it's a sin, it's just what I want. And we'd see God move in these other contexts and say, God, why not here? Why not here? We'd hang out with our, our friends in Kenya. We see what God's doing all across Kenya. And it, it was preceded in prayer and fasting. And I go, God, why not here? 
Think about our friends in Sierra Leone, Shadonke Johnson. I don't know if you guys know what God's doing through them, but man, their church is praying and fasting 200 days a year, and they're seeing people come to Christ in ways I can't fathom. I go, God, why not here? You're not a regional God. You're not just a God of there. You're the God of the earth. I'm like, God, why not here? And so we just started asking God, why not here? And so we came back from experiencing so much of what God was doing all around the world, and I remember standing up in front of our church, and you know, this was, this was about four years ago now. I stood up in front of our church, and I did what any youthful, excited, like, you know, church planner does. I overreached a bit. <laughs> you know, we never prayed and fasted as a church more than one day ever. You know, we'd like fast one or two days at a time throughout a year. I'm still not even sure our people were actually doing it, but we'd have days of prayer and fasting. None of you can relate to that, right? Like, I know when you ask your people, they all do it 100% of the time. But, you know, we'd, we'd stand up and, hey, we're going to pray and fast. And I, I wasn't even sure if they were doing it or not. But we come back and I'm like, God, you've got to move. We want you to move. And so we come back and, and uh, we tell our church, hey, we're going we're gonna to tithe this year in, fr- in prayer and fasting. We're going to tithe our year in prayer and fasting. And it's the beginning of the year. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the first month and for 30 days... We're going to cancel all of our church services at our normal campuses. We're going to rent out a big arena. We're going to all come together. I'm not going to preach for five straight weeks. We're just going to pray together. We're going to ask you to come an hour early, stay an hour late, three hours of prayer. We're going to pray, and for 30 days, we're going to pray and fast. That's what we're going to do, and I'm just casting vision. I'm excited about it. And, man, do you know what we managed to do that first year we prayed and fast? I managed to grow our church from a few thousand to about half of that in a really short amount of time. And people are like, man, we're out of here. (laughs) This dude is nuts. This is not what we signed up for. And I remember just going, okay, God, maybe, maybe it's not the silver bullet. Maybe that's, not, and maybe that's not the way that it goes. And I'll never forget, I just kind of slid into quite literally a, a spiritual depression in that season. I didn't even know it. I, I was just grieving, like, man, how come? You, you, know, you know what we do as pastors, right? Whenever you call your people to something and they don't do it, instead of owning your part of it, you just blame them for not being spiritual enough. I'm like, God, why are they so godless? Why do, why do they hate praying? Why do they hate, you know, you know the stuff we do. Maybe you don't do it. You're more spiritual than me. But, you know, I'm, I'm blaming the people in my heart. And I remember one morning I wake up and I'm, I'm just talking to the Lord. I'm like, I'm like, God, what's going on? And I'll never forget, he just kind of put this impression in my heart. It was a Sunday morning about 4 o'clock in the morning. He said, I want you to get up, Dave, and I want you to, I want you to study the cycles of grief. And I, I'm like, okay, maybe I'm going to meet somebody at church today that's grieving. You know, maybe I need to know this. So I pull out Google, you know, cycles of grief. And, you know, stage one is denial. Stage two is uh, anger. Stage three is depression. Um, stage four is control. And stage five is acceptance. So I'm looking through that. And as I'm going through those stages of grief, the Spirit of God just said, Dave, you're You're grieving. You're grieving the state of your church. You're grieving the state of your city. You're grieving the state of your culture. But here's the difference. In the kingdom of God, the last stage is not acceptance. It's activation. In order, and in order for me to use your life, I had to break your heart. I had to help you see what is. And now we get to work this back and do this my way. And so we came back to the church and said, hey, we're, we're going we're gonna to stick with this whole tithing our year in prayer and fasting. And, and we're going to see what God's going to do. And so we kept calling our church into it. Hey, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to pray and fast at the beginning of the year for a month together. We're going to give 
15 minutes of every service on a Sunday morning. We're getting getting groups for corporate prayer. We're going to end every Sunday by bringing prayer delegates back together for two hours to pray on behalf of the city. We're going to take the first uh, day of every month to pray and fast. We're going to take certain seasons to pray and fast throughout the year. We're going to ask God to move. And so we just started asking God, and we, we started challenging our people, hey, will you go here with us? And every time we would talk about prayer and fasting, it was almost always the same response. It's like, Dave, isn't that legalistic? Why are, why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? And I could give you all my verses to like prove my point, but I, I want to give you something more than that. Here's what I tell them. I say, hey, there, there's four reasons why I think we need to, to really pray and fast as a church on behalf of what God's doing. And number one is this. It's the promise of Scripture. God says, if my people who are called by my name would what? They'd humble themselves. It's almost, in the Old Testament, that's almost always synonymous with fasting. They, if they'd humble themselves... Turn from their wicked ways. Seek my face. I will hear their prayers. I will, I will hear them. I will answer them. And I will heal their land. It's a promise of Scripture. It's what Jesus talks about in John chapter 17. He says, if you come together in unity around the things that I'm passionate about, when you're together in unity, your unity points to my validity. Like, hey, we come together in prayer and fasting. God is going to move in ways that we don't understand. And so... Why do we do what we do? Because of the promise of Scripture, number one. Because, number two is because of the proof of history. Why do we pray and fast? Is because you would be hard-pressed to find any great move of God in human history that was not first preceded by prayer and fasting. You see it all throughout Christian history. It's great revivals, these great awakenings. I don't know about you, but I'm not just looking to, to fill up a few extra seats in our church building. I'm not looking to just add another service. I'm not looking to white-knuckle another campus. I'm wanting God to move in such a way that nobody questions it's God. I want God to move in such a way that people start coming to Nashville as spiritual tourists. I don't know if you know this, but Nashville has become the number one bachelorette destination in the world, or in the country, over Las Vegas now. People come all over from all over the country to party in our city. And I go, man, I long for the day when they show up to get touched by God. I go, I want God to move. And I go, but for God to move like that, it's not just the promise of Scripture. It's the proof of history. It's who He is. It's what He does. He responds to humble, unified people praying and fasting for God to move. It's the promise of Scripture. It's the proof of history. Number three, it's the prevailing need of our day. I look out at our city. And I go, man, by the grace of God, our church has grown like crazy, but our church's growth cannot even begin to touch the growth curve of the city. There's things we can't change. There's things we can't fix. We've been a church for 10 years, and our city feels worse. I think the spiritual trajectory of our city is worse than it was when we started the church. I'm not sure if it's our church's fault or not. I hope it's not. But I'm going, God, there's a need. There's a need for you to move. And we don't need just more church planters showing up and occupying public schools. That's a good thing. We need church plants that are showing up filled with the spirit and the power of God, setting a city on fire for the glory of God. We need to see addictions broken, marriages healed, the lost saved, the sick touched. Like we need to see God move. There is a prevailing need for a fresh touch of God in our day and time. And here's the deal. You know, our, our culture, everybody's talking about where our culture's going, how dark it is and how broken it is, and that's true, but here's the deal. The darker the culture, the brighter the opportunity for Jesus to shine. And I go, why do we pray and fast? It's the promise of Scripture. It's the proof of history. It's the prevailing need of our day, and last but not least, is because I believe in the power of God to fundamentally shift the scorecard. 
I believe Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, and that he is a God who is on the move and that he can do the impossible. He's the possibility. He's the impossibility specialist. That's what he specializes in. And I go, man, I don't want to just preach sermons about the God of the impossible. I want to experience the God of the impossible in our city. And so for the last three or four years, our church, we've been running back to the chapel. We've been running back saying, hey, God, we want more of your spirit. We want more of your presence. We want more of your leadership. It's coming through prayer and fasting. And so let me kind of bring that into what's begun to unfold in the city. And so last year, a a year ago, uh, February, we were halfway through our our month-long journey of prayer and fasting. Just our church, no other church doing it in the city. Just our church, we're praying and fasting. And on the 15th day of that month-long journey of prayer and fasting, one morning I'm up early. And I'm praying for our three sons. We have uh, an eight-year-old named Micah, a six-year-old named Jack, and a uh, four-year-old named Judah. At the time, Judah was three years old. And I was praying over each of our boys early in the morning, not because I'm spiritual, just because that's the only quiet time in our house with five extroverts. And so I'm up early, and I'm praying over our boys. And the Spirit of God, he begins to whisper into my heart. He said, Dave, if your youngest son Judah went missing, what would you do? I said, God, you know exactly what I'd do. I would spend every waking moment of my life looking for him. That's my new job description. That's all I'm doing. And he whispered in my heart, he said, Dave, my city is filled with, your city is filled with my missing children. And the church in large part has quit looking for them because the buildings are full and the budgets are met. I want you to wake up the search and rescue team. I want you to raise up a strategic intercessor on behalf of every name, every neighborhood, and every nation represented in the city of Nashville. And I went, God, I can't even keep the prayer team at our church filled. How are we supposed to do that? And for three or four days, I didn't even move on it. I told my wife about it. I I didn't know what to do. I was overwhelmed. Have you ever had one of those moments where God has spoken into your heart and and you're just, you know it's from the Lord, but you don't even know where, where to start. You know, you're like bartering with God. You're like Gideon. It's like, I made a 24 on the ACT. I can't figure this one out. Like, how are we going to make this one work, God? And I'm just trying to barter with God. You've got the wrong guy. So on Sunday night, we get to the end of our services that day, and I come to our, our Sunday night prayer service. And that night I was there not because I wanted to be, just because I'm the pastor and I've got to be. And I know you've had those moments, and so I'm up there at that prayer service and just kind of faking my way through it. And uh, all I can think about is that word from the Lord that came a few days earlier. So we get to the end of the prayer service, and my buddy Tom walks up to me. I haven't told anybody other than my wife this thing that God has spoken into my heart. And Tom walks up to me. He puts his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Dave, I don't know why I'm about to tell you this. He said, but did you know it's possible for you to get a list that has the name and the address of every person that lives in the city of Nashville. He said, I think you're supposed to get that list so we can pray over the people of Nashville. And I don't know what my face looked like, but I know what my heart felt like. The moment is like somebody pulled the plug out of the dam and the water just like washed over me. And I felt like I woke up three days later going, okay, God, you've given me the marching orders. So we went out and we got the list of every person that lives in our city every household, hundreds of thousands of names representing 1.8 million people in the city. Uh, got all of these households, all of these addresses, and then immediately I felt depressed because I'm like, God, this is so much bigger than I could imagine. How in the world are we supposed to do this? And the Lord just said, I didn't ask you to do this. I said, I, I want my church to do this. I want you to wake up the search and rescue teams. I want you to begin calling people around this. And so 
you know, this past fall, we, we started calling pastors together. And I mean, I don't know if you know how special this is right here. Man, this is special. Like church leaders coming together, working together in a city. This doesn't happen a whole lot like this. What I'm seeing here in Houston, we didn't have anything like this in Nashville going, which I know is probably hard to believe. But so I just start sitting down with pastors, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I'm casting vision uh, for prayer and fasting and for us coming together to pray and fast for the city. And everybody's just looking at me the same way. They keep saying the same few things. Dave, Americans don't pray and fast very well. I say, I know that. I'm an American. I'm, I'm well aware. I said, number two, uh, churches in Nashville don't play very well together. I say, I'm well aware. I'm, I'm a part of a church here in Nashville. Um, uh, hey, number three, this is a monumental task. Uh, I'm well aware. I've got the list. I'm trying to get you on board with this. I sit down and I share the vision. I say, hey, here's the vision. For the month of February in 2019, we are going to pray and fast for every person in the city of Nashville by name for 30 days. And at the end of those 30 days, we're going to write every person in the city a handwritten note telling them how much they matter to Jesus. And we're going to trust that God would do something that we couldn't do. That's, going to, that's what we're going to do. And, and every pastor I'd sit down with, they'd go, yeah, we're, we're, that's cool. We're not in. Thanks for lunch. <laughs> and, it, and it went that way until about October. And then do you know what happened? One church got on board. One church got on board, and I remember going to meet with their elders, and I'm standing there saying, hey, it may just be the two of us, and this may take us a decade, but we're going to do this thing, and we're going to pray and fast, and we're going to write a handwritten note to every single person in the city, letting them know that they matter to Jesus, and so in October, there were two of us. By the end of October, there were about 40 of us. By the end of November, there were like 150 of us. By the end of December, we were in the 200s. By the time we started the last Sunday of January, there are 418 churches that have committed 30 days, 40,000 people said for 30 straight days, we're going to pray and fast. We gave every one of them a little packet like this that we printed up, handed out 40,000 of these packets. Our church paid for every penny of it. We said, hey, we're just going to teach you how to do this. All the mistakes we learned as a church, we're going to teach you how to do it. Here's how you pray and fast. Here's a prayer guide that we're going to go to do together. And then every person had a unique list in their packet of 15 names and 15 blank postcards. And for 30 days, as a city, we were just praying and fasting over every single household, prayer walking the streets, prayer walking the campuses. And guys, God is moving. He's moving. We just wrapped this up uh, uh, five weeks ago. And just the stuff that God is beginning to do in the city is blowing my mind. You know, part of it's just around church-wide unity, and that unity is displaying the validity of Jesus. <laughs> We have churches coming together that have never worked together in their life, and now they're friends. One of my favorite moments was at one of our prayer meetings. We had all the pastors go around and tell what churches that they were from. And these two guys were sitting at the same table, and they realized they pastored churches that were literally across the street from each other. They had both been there 15 years, and they had never met. Isn't that, that's a shame, that's a sin, but like that's what happened. Like they realized we had never met, and all of a sudden they made the commitment, hey, for the next 30 days, we're going to walk across the street and pray together every day. And God is moving in mighty ways in church unity. We had white churches and black churches and Hispanic churches and Asian churches coming together. We had churches big and small, non-denominational uh, and, and denominations coming together. We had 100 churches who English was not their first language coming together. And for 30 straight days, just praying and fasting that God would move in a mighty way. And we see God moving in the unity of the church. But it's not just in the unity of the church. We see God moving in the hearts of people within the city. I could, I could literally tell you hundreds of stories. I'll just give you a few. One of my favorites was uh, 
the way that non-Christians jumped in to pray and fast with us. Every single Sunday, we'd have people show up at church who are not believers. They'd make a commitment to pray and fast, and we saw God wrecking their lives, doing amazing things in their lives. One of the stories, there's a guy who showed up at church one day, not a Christian, leading a great uh, business. He had succeeded in every area of his life except for his marriage. And his marriage was on the rocks, and because his marriage was in a tough spot, he decides to show up at church with his buddy. And he shows up on this day when we're talking about prayer and fasting. And so we get to the end of the service, and he turns to his friend who's uh, supposed to be the spiritual leader, the Christian in the, in the friendship, and he says, what are you fasting from? The non-Christian asks the Christian, what are you fasting from? And the Christian guy says, I'm fasting from pornography this month. And the non-Christian said, you know, I don't know much about Jesus, and I don't know much about fasting, but I'm pretty sure that's not what he's talking about. I think that's just a sin, and you should probably quit that. And you should probably fast from something else. I thought that was the most awesome answer. And so this non-Christian decides he's going to start fasting from food from sunup to sundown for the rest of the time. His, his wife had left him. She'd served in the divorce papers. And he came up with this idea that is so brilliant, I think only the Holy Spirit could do it. He decided to put his shoes under his bed every day with his car keys and his shoes. So that way, before he could leave the house, he'd have to get on his stomach, prostrate before the Lord to get his shoes and his keys under his bed. And as he was there, he would humble himself before the Lord and say, God, would you heal my marriage? Less than a week into that journey, his wife calls and says, why are we getting a divorce? They tore up the papers. She moved back into the house. They are reconciling their marriage. And he goes, Jesus Christ might be the son of God. It's happening all across the city. People are getting wrecked by God. I think about what's happening, happening in the prison systems. Think about what's happening in the prison systems. It's crazy. Prisoners started hearing about, those who are incarcerated started hearing about what was happening on the outside. And these followers of Jesus inside the, the prison system decided, hey, we're going to break up our cell blocks. And we're going to get the names of all of those that are incarcerated. And we're going to start praying and fasting for them over the next 15 day, uh, 30 days. Prayer groups broke out within the prison systems in Nashville, praying and fasting, people getting saved like crazy within the walls of prisons. How amazing is God? I think about another story, a story of a guy named James, who one day on a Wednesday afternoon, he shows up at a church, two o'clock in the afternoon, shows up at the office, knocks on the door. Uh, the lead pastor was gone. It was just kind of the administrative pastor and a secretary that were there in the office. He shows up, he knocks on the office door. And he says, I need somebody to tell me about Jesus. My life is a mess. This church had been praying and fasting, you know, for about three weeks, and they were still surprised. They're like, whoa, people are just showing up. And so they bring them in, and they sit down, and they start, you know, the executive pastor, he, he was kind of uncomfortable. He'd never done this before. So he's like, I'm just going to kind of read through the gospel of Mark with you. So they start reading through the gospel of Mark, and just a, just a few minutes in, the guy says, okay, I'm convinced. I want to give my life to Jesus. Can I follow Christ and get baptized? Guy's like, yeah, you can get baptized. So he, he baptizes them there on a Wednesday afternoon, three o'clock in this church office. Four days go, or four days go by. It's next Sunday morning, this family shows up at the church. They show up and they say, hey, we need to find the guy that, that baptized James. They find the pastor that baptized him. They said, hey, you baptized him on Wednesday. On Friday, he dropped dead. We had no clue. Like, just totally shocked, dropped dead. The whole family says, our life is a mess. We've got to get right with God. He leads the whole family to the Lord. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. 
We ask people in our church to put down the names of people that they're praying for. We're praying, we're just watching people come into the kingdom of God. And I could just tell you story after story after story of what God is beginning to shake. But here's what we're sensing is we believe that we're just licking the frost off of the tip of the iceberg. That there is so much more. And we're saying, hey God, whatever it is that you'd have. And so right now in our, our city, these pastors are coming together and we're saying, okay, God, would you move? Would you move? Would you move? We've got dreams that are bubbling up about church planting. You know, one of the dreams that our church is dreaming up right now, we're going, hey, God, would you help us? Would you help us release a bivocational missionary onto every residential street in the city of Nashville? Would you help us do that over the next few years? Could we train up and release a missionary on every, like, you could do that, God. You could do that. You could do that. We're just asking God for the impossible. And, and here, here's what we see as, as we pray and fast, praying and fasting, it's, it's not the silver bullet. Praying and fasting, it, it's not this formulaic, well, if, if you do it, then God does this. But I do believe there is a mystery that is attached to the reality. <laughs> and there's something that God begins to do as we enter into this mystery of prayer and fasting as the people of God. It begins to shift things. I think it's there in the, in the place of prayer and fasting that the church begins to walk in humble submission to the ways of God. And when a church is walking in humble submission to the ways of God, there's no shortage of what God can do through them and in them. Prayer and fasting changes the church. It doesn't just change the church. Prayer and fasting shifts. It shifts something in the hearts of unbelievers. We have seen people over the last five or six weeks come to Jesus that we've been praying for for decades, some of them in my own family. So Bruce this morning about a story of my own family, somebody that I've been praying for personally for 19 years. All of a sudden, bam, into the kingdom of God. God's moving. There's this mystery of prayer and fasting that it changes the church. It opens up the lost, I believe, to the will of God so that they can come into the kingdom. And last but not least, it, I believe it shifts something in the heavenlies. I believe it shifts something in the heavenlies. It opens up an atmosphere in a city for God to move in ways that we have yet to see or even imagine in our context. So I don't know what it is that uh, you're dreaming up in this 50 days. But you know, when Chad asked me to come, I was just like, hey, I just want to come and say, go for it. Just go for it. Just, just keep going. Call, call your people to prayer. Call your people to fasting before the Lord. Call your people to more. Call your people to more. And let's stand back and see what it is that God might choose to do. I want to pray over us, and then I'll hand it back over to Chad. Father, I love you. And I just, I thank you for the framework that is already established here in the Houston Church Planning Network. I thank you for the relational trust. I thank you for the strategic vision. I thank you for the structures that are in process or in place for people to come into residency and to plant into the city. And God, I just give you praise for all of that. I thank you for this 50 days of prayer that they're entering into in this season, God. And I would ask that you would do things that would so surpass anything they even know how to ask you for. 
God, I'm so convinced in my spirit that these these seasons of prayer, although we will see fruit in them, these seasons of, of prayer are not so much the seasons of harvest. They are the seasons of planting. These are the seasons where we are sowing and plowing and watering. And Lord, I believe the harvest is going to come down the road. Lord, would you give this group of women and these group of men, these leaders, the ability to connect the dots, to connect the dots between what they are doing right now and what you are going to do in the city because of their humble, faithful, persistent obedience to you. May we be like the friend that knocks on the door in the middle of the night with audacity. (laughs) Says, God, you are a God of the impossible. Do that again in our day. God, help us to ask knowing that we will receive, to seek knowing that we will find, to knock knowing that the door is indeed opened because you are a truth teller. You are a promise keeper. And Lord, we believe you for these things. God, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you make each of the people in this room, would you make us prayers? Help us to enjoy you in prayer, to know you in prayer, to follow you in prayer, to experience you in prayer. And would you allow the people of our churches to become people of prayer? Not just mechanical prayer, not just religious prayer, but to know you intimately, God. Lord, I'd ask for all of the people that they represent in the city of Houston right now, almost just like a spiritual download, just that this hunger and thirst for more of you in prayer would just begin to well up in them because you tell us that when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will indeed be filled. Help them to hunger and to thirst for more of your presence, to find you in the secret places and to experience the reward of knowing you in the closet of prayer. God, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in this city. God, we ask you for more. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks.